Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Lord's house as we gather again in the season of Lent. And, uh, you know, we are on this journey that you can see it is called Places of the Passion. And along the way in our journey this Lent, we are walking with Jesus on that last week of his life from his entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday that led and leads to the cross on Good Friday. So today you'll see on the cover of your worship folder, we'll be in the high priest's courtyard. Uh, that's when Jesus was on trial with Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. And while he was on trial, Peter was in the courtyard. And as you know, he was denying Jesus and confessing his sin and receiving that grace and forgiveness. So much for us to learn about our guilt, our sin, and the grace of God, and that's what we'll focus on tonight in our worship. So super glad that you are with us, and you'll notice that we begin with the invocation on page two. If you'd please rise, we'll begin there. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Let us ever walk with Jesus to see the depths of his love, to behold the gift of his forgiveness, to gaze upon the heights of his grace, to marvel at the magnitude of his mercy. We follow Christ to the courtyard. It belongs to the high priest Caiaphas, but Peter is there and so are others. Peter denies Jesus three times, but all is not lost. After his collapse, God's grace is amazing. Faithful Lord, with me abide, I shall follow where you guide.
Now we pause to confess our sins to God, to know that he hears us and always answers with love, grace, and forgiveness. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we confess that we have sinned against you and our neighbor in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart, nor have we loved our neighbors as ourselves. You desire a trusting heart, but we doubt and try to manage things on our own. You desire a forgiving heart, but we resent and tear down each other. You desire a willing heart, but we rebel and follow our own desires. You desire a giving heart, but we withhold and pursue earthly things. We have followed the temptations of our own hearts and fallen short of your desires. Have mercy upon us, forgive us our sins, and lead us to everlasting life. Amen. And now hear the good news. Jesus walked to places of rejection, suffering, torment, and death, all for you. Jesus was determined to go to Gethsemane, Gabbatha, and Golgotha, all for you. That's why Jesus forgives you completely and loves you eternally. Faithful Lord, with me abide, I shall follow where you guide.
We bow our heads to pray. Merciful and loving Father, like Peter, we can make great boasts. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. But when we fail and fall and get lost in guilt, we pray you to restore us to the joy of our salvation. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Now we turn to the word of the Lord. This first passage from Isaiah chapter 53 is remarkable. You'll hear the prophet here tell us about Jesus taking upon himself the sins of the world and being buried and rising again for our salvation. And what's amazing about this is these words were written 700 years before Jesus was even born. God gave the prophet Isaiah this vision for the people to look forward to about the one who would come, the one we know is Jesus, the Son of God. So hear these words again, fresh and new for us today. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils among the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And this is the beautiful word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now from James chapter 2, we are taught this beautiful truth that mercy triumphs over judgment. James said, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now if you're able, please stand for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Gospel according to St. Matthew tonight, the 26th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, 
and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Well, friends, you already heard we are in this series, uh, Journeying with Jesus Through This Passion, and today we, we pause in the courtyard of the high priest Caiaphas. And we remember how as Jesus was being mocked and spit on and beaten, that Peter, the one who confessed, I will never leave you, was denying him three times in the courtyard. What can we learn from this? Well, Noel Coward, a famous British playwright who died in 1973, once played a joke on 20 of the most famous men in London. What he did was he sent all 20 of these men an identical note, and it read, Everybody has found out what you have done. If I were you, I would get out of town. And you know what all 20 of those men did? They got out of town. All 20. Talk about being found and fooled into admitting and confessing your guilt, right? Well, what would happen if one day you went out to the mailbox and you got a letter and you opened it up and it said, everybody has found out what you have done. If I were you, I'd get out of town. What would you do? What would race through your mind? Maybe the income you hid from the IRS when you were doing your taxes? Maybe all the time you spent at work watching March Madness games instead of doing your job? Maybe the expense account you inflated? The secret rendezvous in Chicago? The pornography you watched on your computer? I don't know, but if I were you, I'd get out of town. Guilt for our sins. If you received a letter like that, you might immediately start to think about all the ways that you have failed, all the ways you have let God down or someone that you love. And that guilt for our sins can sit on our chest like a concrete block weighing us down. I don't know, maybe there's someone in the plan on the planet somewhere who doesn't feel guilt, but I don't know who they are. All of us who confess our sins and try to do what's right feel the pain and the remorse of guilt, don't we? What is it that sucked you under? 
a one-night stand, a backstreet brawl, a bad decision you've made, or maybe your guilt that's weighing you down isn't the result of a, of a moment, but maybe it's a, a season of life. You know, you feel like you, you failed as a parent, or you squandered your youth, or your money, or both, or you chose the wrong career. I don't know, fill in the blank. The result is guilt. And so today, we walk to a courtyard in Jerusalem, the courtyard of a high priest named Caiaphas. And in Caiaphas' courtroom, we see guilt. The guilt of Peter, who after he denies Jesus three times, is so crushed and beaten down by his failure and his guilt that it just says this, he broke down and wept bitterly. But in that courtyard, not only will we see guilt, we will also see grace. Grace for Peter and grace for us. So to get the context of the story, let's back up a little bit to the Garden of Gethsemane. Not long before the courtyard, Jesus and Peter were in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you remember there, Peter made an incredible claim, right? Jesus was talking to him, and Peter said, Lord, though all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, I tell you, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And what did Peter say to that? He said, no, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. That's a bold claim, isn't it? And I think we can understand where that claim comes from for Peter. Jesus and Peter had been through so much together. Three years earlier, Jesus was walking on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Peter fishing with his brother Andrew, and he calls them to follow. And he says, I will make you fishers of men. And they drop everything and follow. About a year later, Peter follows Jesus out onto the Sea of Galilee during a whale of a storm and walks on the water, but then begins to sink. And it is Jesus who immediately reaches out his hands and takes a hold of Peter to save him. And then at Caesarea Philippi, Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And after that, Jesus takes Peter along with James and John to see his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration and then takes that same trio again to the Garden of God's Gethsemane where they witness his agony. So is it any wonder that Peter would stand up and make this claim after all he had seen and witnessed and all that he had been through he, to say, even if I must die with you, Jesus, I will not deny you. Now, you realize that most of us here today have made that same claim. Do you know when you made that claim? When you were confirmed, the pastor asked you something like this. Do you intend to live according to the word of God in faith, word, and deed, and to remain true to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? And what did you all boldly say? I do. Or maybe you threw in, I do, with the help of the Lord. Right? You made that same claim, that you would not fall away, that you would stay true, that you would not deny. But what always happens in our broken, sinful world 
as we make these claims, we have the best intentions just like Peter, but then the cracks start to form in the foundation of our claim. It happened for Peter in the courtyard. Watching Peter, you can just see the cracks start to form in the foundation and slowly spread. A servant girl comes up to Peter and says, you were with Jesus, the Galilean. And Peter denies it, saying, I don't know what you mean. And we see the first crack. Peter then goes out into the courtyard's entrance when another servant girl sees him and she says, this man was with Jesus, with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denies it, only this time with an oath. I have a picture. He raised his hand and said, I swear on my mother's grave, I don't know the man. Another crack. And you know what happens? When there's enough cracks in the foundation, you know it always comes next? A collapse. And that's exactly what happened, a collapse. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. And then Peter began to invoke a curse on himself. And he swore, and he said, I don't know the man. The expression he uses to invoke a, cur a curse on himself is from what we get our English word, uh, anathematize. To anathematize means to something would be eternally condemned. Paul uses that same word in Galatians 1 where he says, if anyone preaches a different gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be anathematized or eternally condemned. Do you see how far the cracks have gone in the foundation of Peter's confession? Now he's calling down damnation and curses upon himself, claiming to not know Jesus. Wow. How fast the denial comes. First it's an evasive denial, then it's a direct denial, and then comes a denial with a curse. And what comes next? The rooster crows, and the collapse is complete. It always follows. The claim comes the cracks. And it works that way for us too. We say we're going to follow Jesus. We say we're going to do what's right. We say we will never deny him. But then we say things like, you know, just one more drink. Just one more little lie. Just one more fling. Just one more look. Just one more time. Crack, crack, crack in our foundation. One more leads to one more, which leads to just one more. And when there are enough cracks, there will always be a collapse. And then comes the G word, guilt. And what do we do with that guilt and that collapse? What do we do? You know, we can numb it. A lot of us try that, to numb our guilt. We numb it with a drink during happy hour. We numb it with binge shopping or binge solitary games or binge eating or binge drinking or binge Netflix. Or maybe we don't numb it. Maybe we just deny it, deny the guilt. We pretend the rooster never crowed. We concoct a plan to just cover it all up. One lie, though, always leads to another lie, which always leads to another lie. And before long, we have to adjust the second lie to align with the first lie, which means then we have to adjust the third lie to align with the second lie. Uh, you know how it works. We can numb it, we can deny it, 
or we can bury it. Bury your guilt beneath a mountain of work, beneath a mountain or of a calendar of appointments. We think the busier we stay, the less time we have to spend with that one person we have come to dislike the most, ourself. Or sometimes we try and punish ourselves for the guilt. Punish ourselves. I read an article this week that just shocked me. Did you know that 17% of our teens today will self-harm themselves before they graduate from high school? And of the 17% of our teens that harm themselves, 45% of them will use razor blades to cut themselves as a method of self-injury to appease the guilt, to somehow punish themselves for something that they've done or for something they believe that they're not. We, maybe we don't cut ourselves, but maybe we flog ourselves, not with whips, but maybe with rules. Create a long list of things to do, we say. Pray more, study more, show up earlier, stay later. We punish ourselves, thinking that will appease the guilt. Or maybe we minimize it. We say, we didn't really sin, we just lost our way. We didn't really sin, we just got caught up in the moment. We didn't really sin, we just took the wrong path. And we minimize our guilt. Or here's another one who loved to redirect our guilt. Lash out at the kids. Lash out at your spouse, your coworkers, your friend, your cat, your dog, your driver in the next lane, that guy who left Green Bay to play for the Jets. I don't know. We redirect, we blame our guilt on someone else. Or maybe we offset it. Do you know what I mean by offset it? We build the perfect family, we think. Then our guilt will go away. Create the perfect career. Score perfect grades. Be completely intolerant of any mistakes made by yourself or other people. Numb it, deny it, bury it, punish it, minimize it, redirect it, offset it. No matter what it is, do you know what it ends up? You end up miserable. You end up weary and tired and angry and deceptive and stressed out and unhappy. Guilt sucks the life right out of us. But there's another G word, grace. Grace is a whole nother way of dealing with guilt. Grace comes to us when we confess our sins and we allow God to do what we can't heal us of our sins, forgive us for our sins, and give us new life and new hope again. You know, that's exactly what happened with Peter. Peter didn't numb it or deny it or bury it or punish it or minimize it or redirect it or offset it. What did he do? He confessed it. He gave it to God. He repented, period. And here's the beautiful thing. While Peter is in the courtyard weeping bitterly for his sin, Jesus is on the way to the cross to die for him. I love this idea that Jesus didn't wait for Peter to get it all together, didn't wait for Peter to figure it out, didn't wait until he had overcome his temptation and fought all of his demons and conquered all of his sins. While Peter is weeping bitterly, Jesus is marching to the cross to pay the price so that he might be healed. Paul said in Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In our brokenness, in our collapse, in our guilt, Jesus marches to the cross. And in that we see grace, not guilt. And grace leads us to what? It leads us to a, I don't know what to call it, a, a comeback. It leads us to a comeback, to joy and purpose again. I mean, think about this. Who preaches the sermon on Pentecost? It's Peter. Whose sermon converts 3,000 people that day? It's Peter. Who writes two books of the New Testament for Christians to enjoy and grow from for thousands of years? It's Peter. You see, Peter has this beautiful comeback because he receives grace. Because he didn't get stuck in numbing or denying or bearing or punishing or minimizing or redirecting or offsetting. Because he uh, uh, confessed it and gave it to God, he was free. Free to live. Free to be used. Free to be joyful again. Free to have purpose. Free to live in grace. Comebacks. What God, or what God does when we confess our sins and he forgives us. So friends, our story isn't over when Jesus is in it. Isn't that great? Our story isn't over when Jesus is in it. We can all come back from guilt. How? With the best G word ever, grace. God bless you today as you live in that grace and as that grace forgives and enables you to come back to God's place of purpose and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, let's say thank you to God for the gift of grace and all that he has done for us by our offerings. Uh, you know, these are the gifts we use to lift up this name of Jesus and to share his good news with our world. So thank you for joining us on that mission.
Now, if you're able, would you stand as we thank God for the offerings we have brought to him tonight? Loving Father, we rejoice in the great gift of your Son and pray that you may find joy in the gifts that we bring. Help us to give of ourselves more freely and fully to you and to each other, trusting in your love to provide for our every need. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, gathered in the name of Jesus, let us turn to our Father in heaven and pray for all people according to their needs, trusting that he will hear us and answer us according to his gracious will. For the Holy Christian Church, the proclamation of his, the gospel and people saving in Jesus let us pray to the Lord Lord have mercy for the provision of absolute truth the one and true Christian faith let us pray to the Lord Lord have mercy for the inspiration of your word and the acquisition of it in our lives let us pray to the Lord Lord have mercy for the synod its authority groups, elected officials, pastors, teachers, and musicians, let us pray to the Lord. Lord For the armed forces of our nation and all men and women in uniform who serve to protect the public of the enforcement and the law, let us pray to the Lord. For an end to the war in Ukraine and lasting peace around the world, let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. For seasonable weather and the fruitfulness of the earth, let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. For honest industry, truthful education, and an honorable way of life for all people, let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. For those without work, those who are underemployed, and those still searching for their personal calling, let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. For those who labor, for those whose work is difficult or dangerous, and for all and for and for all who travel, let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. For the hungry, the widowed, the orphaned, and those requiring special treatment for addiction, mental illness, and other debilitating disorders, let us pray to the Lord. For the unborn, the abused, the forgotten, and the lost, let us pray to the Lord. Lord For those who struggle with disabilities and for those who provide constant care and protection, let us pray to the Lord. Lord For the sick, the shut-in, the recovering, and the dying, and for all those who care for them, let us pray to the Lord. And now we join the prayer Jesus himself taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Well, Jesus invites us to walk with him to the Garden of Gethsemane, a place of great suffering 
and a place of great love. We will walk with Jesus all the way to the empty tomb and resurrection victory. Let us ever walk with Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen.
Tom, you can leave that stuff on. We have worship band practice. Okay. All the sound equipment can stay on, even the lights. Even the lights? Yeah, lights. 